You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling. We're back Along with college football, we're just days away from USC starting its fall camp. Shotgun, I'm excited. Football's back. I know. Keely's just been like humming along every uh, football tune, you know, the ABC theme, you know, Monday Night Football. Just, I'm like, what is going on? She's just so excited about football, apparently. The best one is the SEC on CBS. That one's, that one's a banger. It's a bang. Okay, well, I'll let someone at CBS know that you're really enthused about their song choices. And I'm not just shilling for our parent company. It's just a really good. Oh yeah, we are owned by them too. (laughs) It's a really good theme song. That's all I gotta say. But shotgun, you're back. I think I'm excited about that too. You're back from all your travels. I've been gone for about three weeks, basically. So shotgun San Diego. Where are you in the world? We don't know. (laughs) But you're back here in the studio, and we have a nice, fun episode of the Family Feud podcast. As a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Megaphone. You can also email us questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us. Football season is kicking off, so we'll answer all your questions and whatever you might have. But Shotgun, while you were away, a lot of things transpired. But one of the things that transpired was Pac-12 Media Day. I just am curious, what were you able to kind of glean from your outside perspective of Pac-12 Media Day? So I actually was awake in the middle of the night. That's not that random, but um, <laughs> at randomly like 4 a.m., you know, I got woke up. It was really hot in the room I was staying in. So I was like, let me, let me check in, see what's going on. And, you know, that's it was 4 a.m. there at the in Southeast Asia. And, you know, so I decided to check on Twitter just to see what's going on. The main thing I took away, so I didn't get through the entire day of Pac-12 Media Day, but, I, you know, I basically made it through the uh, Larry Scott portion. Ooh, which the is, best. Oh, of my them. goodness. That, see that? So that's why I was like, you, you know, they always say you know, if you're in a relationship, don't go to bed angry. You know, I'm in a relationship with college football, but I couldn't help it. I had to go to bed angry on that mm, one. Not good. You know, I, I couldn't stay up long, long enough to let it pass. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, just listening to all the stuff he's saying that is not true. Uh, like what? Give me, what are some of the things that made you irate? The, the TV deal and just talking about how, oh, well, it'll be fine in four or five years. Like, dude, you need to make some changes now. Your team, your schools are falling behind in a big way. Like you can't say, well, in five years, it'll be okay. I'm sure it'll be fine in five years in half a decade. Like things have to be, this is not, this is not the night, the 1800s where in five years, okay. You know, if you make changes in five years, it's okay. The world moves at a lot faster pace now. You know, you know, you're in the social media age. You're in the the gotta have it now age. You know, which is the same thing. Which is why coaches are on the hot seat so much quicker than they maybe they previously were. The Pac-12 is on a downward trajectory, so there needs to be change, and that has not happened with Larry Scott. And yet he's talking about, well, it'll be fine, five or six years. I mean, I was just gonna add, along with how college football coaching has changed, the media landscape can change so much in five years. Like if you're waiting on that, you don't even know what's going to be popular, how things are going to develop. I mean, YouTube, TV live, all that stuff. You don't know where you're going to be then. And to wait till that moment just seems like you're on your heels. Yeah. You, you don't even know if the TV contract is going to be as big money as it is now because yep. of the way that the way that a lot of people are cutting cords and different things then, hey, YouTube TV or something like that, a streaming service might be a bigger revenue. And that's something that the Pac-12 should be exploring. And they talked about that they are exploring. But you should be you know, very proactive. When you're the low man on the totem pole, you should be experimenting, trying something new. And that includes getting on DirecTV or whatever channel, you know, whatever services you need to be where people can actually watch the Pac-12 network if you want to be a media company. So in that sense, as far as experimenting goes... What was your take on 9 a.m. kickoffs that were floated around? That's a really interesting one. You know, I think it's a terrible experience for the players. Yeah. Because most times players are arriving four to five hours before a game. So <laughs> you're telling me you want your players there at at early, I mean at latest, 5 a.m.? 
So when are they supposed to wake up? You know, when are they supposed to sleep? You talk about how there's a lot of discussion always about, you know, the the welfare of the student athlete. Well, that's not. And some of the changes that have been made for kickoff times are for the welfare of the student athletes. You know, the not having desert kickoffs in the middle of the day and, you know, early yeah. in the season because it's, it's not healthy for the players. I don't think it's healthy either to have your players wake up at 3.30 or 4 o'clock to get ready for a game, especially how important everything every game can be. Now, if, if it's a and and Michael Lev, you know, a friend of the program uh, who you know used to cover USC, who's in Arizona now, he brought up a good point. You know, with Utah and, and Colorado, those are actually going to be starting at 10 a.m. because they're in the Mountain Time Zone. Same thing with Arizona for half the season. Um, but you know, I think 11 a.m. kickoffs—that's probably the earliest I would want to go because again, it's five hours before that you usually are showing up. Now you may condense that and make it four hours so you tell your players to be there at seven so that means they have to be wake up between five and six a.m basically so you know i just think that is it's not the normal routine completely so i think you're 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 putting your athletes in more danger of injury too because you're not used to that routine so i think the coaches would have to it'd be kind of similar to that friday night game or something where that, yeah. you you have to prepare for it extra and you know i i just think it's a little bit too much to ask, but I, I think it's an interesting idea. I didn't think that I, you know I don't I don't like the idea because of how early it is, but I think it's an interesting idea because of the reasoning behind it to get into that Fox you know because Fox is and the reason is Fox because Fox is doing their whole big noon or whatever whatever they're calling it uh, you know they're really trying to showcase that noon time slot because they haven't competed as well with some other time slots. So I think that's part of the reason why they're trying to get that one time slot and say, Hey, we're going to have the marquee game at this time. So you're watching us rather than watching whatever the, you know, North Carolina versus NC state game or, you know, the Purdue versus, you know, uh, Wisconsin game. It's early in the morning, those early games that, you know, there's not a lot of impact there. So you're trying to steal the thunder there. No, we're going to have a big game in the big, in the big 12 or the pac 12. So that's what they're trying to do with that. And I see why they're doing it. I see why the, the, the Pac-12 would say, hey, that maybe this is an idea that we should explore because you become the conference that everybody's watching at that time. Because the Pac-12, all their games are later in the day, so then you're competing against the, the marquee SEC games that are on it at 1230. You're, you're competing with the marquee, you know, the, the uh, primetime games that are on later. So your time slot where you know you're going to dominate is that late time slot. Now you're competing with people staying awake on the East Coast. So I see why they're doing it, but I don't think it's a great idea. In my opinion, it just reeks of desperation. Because a little bit, yeah. If if the Pac-12 just gets stronger, if they play well, people are going to watch. <laughs> it's a valid argument too. That it doesn't matter what you do if you're winning, the TV people will come to you. They will people will turn to you. What's it going to is are people on the East Coast really going to tune into a a noon game if the quality of play is horrible because the players are sleep deprived? And I just feel like the solution to all of this, to getting on the national stage, is actually winning. Not huh. some some back-end way to being like, hey, look at us, guys. We're not winning, but please watch us because we're getting up at 9 a.m. to play. Or we're playing at 9 a.m. You know, it just to me, it just seems too extra. I understand what you're saying. And part of the, what I said was you have to have that marquee game, though. So, And that's going to be an even harder part is saying, hey, we got USC, UCLA, you know, or whatever the game is. You know, we got this game that that's gonna you know supersede all the other games they're playing because if you're playing in a time slot where no one's playing, then you're gonna get eyeballs. Maction, you know, for how long there was Thursday night football and it was always those smaller conferences that those those conferences those games got played. I mean, those games got watched on TV. I remember you know watching in high school and college like every Thursday night we're gonna watch whatever games on. Doesn't matter that it was uh, Miami of Ohio versus Toledo. Yeah, we're watching football. Yeah. Uh, so, and the similar thing has happened with the NFL where they see the same thing like, oh yeah, we can go to Thursdays and we can take over that time slot over the college game. And so, so and that's how you get the Pac-12 on uh, Thursday or Friday because they say, well, we're, people will watch us over that Mac game, you know, and that's how it just continues. And a team like the Mac starts looking for a different, I mean, a, a conference like the Mac starts looking for a different time slot and all that type stuff because people want to watch football all the time. Sure, I just think it's doing a disservice to everyone who's actually associated with your conference. Your players, your coaches, your fans. No one who actually is involved with the conference itself is is going to have fun doing this. It's all for a market that's not your home base. So what's the point? 
why not make the Pac-12 popular within your conference rather than hoping some people on the East Coast are going to like you better? I just don't feel like that's something that's going to stick. <laughs> I understand where you're going with it. I, I yeah, I completely agree with what you just said that it that doesn't benefit anyone, you know, the players, the coaches, the fans, because if you're a fan, you got a 9 a.m. start. You got to start tailgating at midnight, I guess, which might be fun. It might be. The Pac-12 type of fans are not going to do that anyway. I'm maybe, not, I maybe. Plenty of people on, when USC Shout to Utah Twitter. <laughs> when USC, uh, you know, when they had game day on campus for the first time, you know, that starts at what time does that start? Six a.m. Okay, but that's game day. That's completely different. Well, it started at six a.m., so people started tailgating at midnight. But that's completely different. Why is it completely different? Because game day has some fanfare to it. And has the potential of being on national TV. Just showing up for a game at Odark 30 doesn't have as much <laughs> like real... Where'd you hear that at? Because I know that's not original. No, it that is. It could not be original. Yeah. That's too good. Too good. How dare you? That's good job insulting. by you, Keely. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I anyway. give her a compliment. She calls it insulting. <laughs> yeah, because she said I wasn't capable of saying something like that. I didn't say capable. I just didn't... Mm, mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> any other Pacto Media Day? reactions before i go into my little spiel well so like i said i basically was awake for the larry scott portion so i didn't get to the usc stuff and you know what i saw a little bit of it a little bit later i didn't didn't seem like there was anything groundbreaking that came out of it now keely did anything groundbreaking <laughs> come out uh, of the pac-12 media day for you not really i i always go in a little skeptical because it's media day you're not gonna see any play it's all about the the phrases and the hopeful lines that come out of players and coaches mouths but Nothing real. I mean, newsworthy wise, we got confirmation Trey Davis in the transfer portal due to a family matter. Jalen Watson and Talini Levi were short of being academically eligible, which we had reported in the war room. Uh, and then they're waiting. They had filed the NCAA waivers for Chris Steele and Brie McCoy, but they're waiting on the, the NCAA. Um, Helton says he hopes that they'll know before game one. But my question for you, Shotgun, is if you're at USC, how do you figure out what to do with maybe not so much Brim McCoy since he doesn't seem like he might be eligible, but for Chris Steele and the DB depth, where do you go with using Chris Steele? Do you really put him in the mix? Because you don't know if he's going to be that guy, if he's going to be eligible, or do you focus on guys like OG and ITS? I think you could just throw guys in there uh, and then you basically – you got to have guys prepared anyways, so you throw them in there and then you just treat it like an injury, basically. Mm, you know, yeah. Iman Marshall was going to be in there last year, but if he got injured the the practice before the first game, then, hey, somebody's got to step up. If Chris Dill is good enough to, to be earning first-team reps, then I think he goes in there at least until, you know, you put out that first depth chart or whatever, which you hope to have an answer by then, but who knows with the NCAA, obviously. Yeah. Um, we, Obviously, we don't think Brew McCoy is going to be eligible with his situation, but you know, a similar thing where he's going to you throw him in there, and you know, they have to learn. That's that's the first thing. The freshmen always have to learn. There's a learning curve at all times for freshmen, so you know they have to learn some. But then if they catch up to speed, then yeah, throw them in there and see how they do. And you know, if that if Chris Steele's the best guy and Brew McCoy's the best receiver, then you know Chris Steele on one side going up against uh, you know Michael Pittman. That's going to be the best matchup to make Michael Pittman better. And if Brew McCoy going up against ITS or OG, then that's going to make them better. Then why would you not want them to compete against the best player so they can be getting better and better? Uh, and then, you know, if those guys are eligible, you know, still will be in the mix. Brew McCoy, obviously, we don't think will be eligible. So he'll be on the scout team. He's going to be making those DBs better throughout yep. the season. Uh, but I think you just throw them in there and, and let them see what they can do so that you know once you, once you find out officially – you know, if, if Chris Dill's eligible, then you know, okay, then yeah, he, he's good to go. We can trust him. Or, you know, oh, he's still got a bunch of work to go. We can't really throw him in there rather than getting a week a week away and say, okay, well, we had him second or third string. Let's throw him in now because we know he's eligible now. You know, those type of things. I think you just, you just play it out how you normally would, and then you kind of treat it like an injury if someone ends up not being eligible. Once the season gets going and stuff, obviously there's going to be a scout team and it'll be different then. But, you know, in the camp, I think everyone gets a lot more opportunities in camp anyways. So I, I think that's what you do. You, you throw them in there, see how they do. And, and it's the same thing with any young guy. They just, you know, throw them in there, let's see where they're at, and then kind of judge what what we need to do to, to get them to the point where they can be a, a contributor on, on the on the team on Saturdays. You know, that's what you got to do there. Yeah, that completely makes sense. And you talking about the regular season and how that kind of changes reminded me of something interesting Clay Helton said. And I actually thought of you because you know how 
you do after they do on stage, they go to the tables outside mm-hmm. and you kind of can talk to them more informally. Clay was actually talking about how the team and some of the assistants worked out the new redshirt rule last season. And they actually kind of used the system close to what you do when you chart the plays. They had uh, a doc for everyone on the team and they counted each play and Clay was getting a sense for who was making the most contributions. And so he he categorized people making contributions as 25 to 30 or more plays a game. And so if you were in that range around the time of having four starts under your belt, he would then make the decision on based on your contributions. And so I think it also kind of sounded like they would have a category wise of each play you made, whether it was good or not. Mm-hmm. And that also weighed into it. So I thought that was interesting knowing how they handled that new uh, rule that Lindsay put down. So I think we had been curious about how that, that worked last season. So finding that out um, and then just, the main theme that came out of Pac-12 Media Day, in my mind, was accountability. That was the word used over and over again. And just how that has been enforced by offensive coordinator Graham Harrell and strength and conditioning coach Aaron Osmus, and how they're kind of the enforcers on the team. And with Aaron comes kind of a different culture, a new, stronger, tougher culture, which all sounds good. And that's the hope in, that comes out of Pac-12 Media Day. But I feel like we'll get a much better sense of that in fall camp and beyond. So those were kind of the main themes coming out of Pac-12 Media Day. I thought the Graham Harrell being added in that was very interesting, that he's the enforcer, you know, Pittman talking about that a little bit. Uh, You know, that's something that stood out when I, you know, went back and and read some of the stuff. Uh, That was, he doesn't seem that way. You know, you you see him, you know, playing with the kids and stuff and, you know, practicing wrestling moves and all that. But you hear that, you say, okay, that's what this team needed. They had Neil Calloway, and Neil Calloway was going to yell at people, but you just didn't see the results there. I think at some point you tune that out. Yeah, I I think maybe that's what happened. I don't know. But you you need an enforcer on the staff at all times, usually one on the offensive side, one on the defensive side. Sometimes it can just be the strength coach. That can be enough. And I think the addition of Osmus is is definitely going to help in that regard too, just because he's more vocal than than Ivan Lewis seemed to be. Um, So I think that – Everything we've seen in the in the summer and the spring, you know, from the weight program and you know, seeing the videos that put out, and I know some people on the on the P think it's propaganda, but you can see the intensity, the you know, the energy there that maybe not was was there before. You know, they've they've made videos for I don't know how long, you know, hype videos basically based on the strength uh, in the in the summer because there's nothing else going on, so you know, it's the it's the best they can do type of thing to an extent. But I, I think you can tell from the players themselves when we talk to them and you know the energy they see in the that you are seen in the video because usually it was just they're lifting or they're running and stuff and you know they break down and you got some hype music to it. Now the the hype is coming from the players in the videos rather than you know just the the music and, and the tone of the video. Uh, so I think that you're seeing that there is more energy there. Once you get hit in the mouth, are you going to still have that energy? That's the big question, obviously. Yep. You know and Will they continue to to make progress going into the fall camp and through fall camp, or will it be like mock game week last week last year, where we saw that week and we're like, they've turned a corner. This looks different. This is this is not what they were doing. This is what they needed, and then it disappeared. Can you continue? Can you build? And, that, and that'll be the question for them all season because once you go into that, you go through fall camp. That first six games is hell, but can you build each week? You know, I think they'll be Fresno State. And I don't think it'll be that close of a game. That's that's not given USC's recent history in openers, but I just I think Fresno State lost a lot last year. Yeah, but they're coached well. They're coached well, yeah, but they lost their starting quarterback. They lost several pieces off that team. I don't think that they're you know they're I don't think they're an eleven and two team like they were last year at this point. They've got to, they've got to build throughout the season, and I, I think Tedford will do a really good job with them, and they'll win eight nine games next season, but. I don't think that that's going to be a huge challenge for USC, but can you build on it? Can you build from can you build from camp to that game? Can you build into the Stanford game? The Stanford game, we always call it, you know, the the it's kind of the false false uh <laughs> that was I coined that. It's whatever happens in the Stanford game is like opposite of what actually happens <laughs> the rest of the of the season. So if USC like, a, like beats Stanford handily, then it's kind of a rocky season and then eh, not always true. Didn't really work out last season. I think that was kind of the case of the offense didn't work and the office offense didn't work in 2018, but usually it's it's does it's not a good predictor of the season. It's kind of a false barometer though. Yes. Because yes. you you look at that and you say, 
you know, woe is me or, oh my goodness, this team's going to be great. But when you play the second game and it's, you know, it's become a, a pretty intense rivalry between those two. And because Stanford is so different from other offenses uh, and, and kind of their style of play than other teams in the Pac-12, it, it becomes kind of a false barometer because you can play really good against one style and be terrible against another at, at times. Um, so, but can you build, can you build on that? And then you go to BYU and you got your first true road game and that's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough place to play, but I think, I think they'll win there too. Uh, you know, so now you go into Washington and, uh, and Notre Dame and whatever Utah at home, Utah at home, you know, that, that stretch is, is, is hell. That's a six game stretch that no other team in the country probably will face. I haven't looked at every schedule, but you know, the the, the com- closest comparison is late in the SEC schedule or halfway through the SEC schedule before you get to your, you know, your week 11, you know, bye cupcake week City. cupcake. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just think that they have to build. Hey, if they come out four and two of that, that's great. But are they building towards the end of the season? Because if they're getting better, if it's like when Sam Darnold took over and they lost to Utah, but you said, there's a spark there. There's a change. They're getting a little bit better, and they continued throughout that season to get better. And the schedule got really soft at the end, and they continued to get better throughout that. They can do that this year, but we need to see it in, starting in fall camp. Can they get better and better? And I think that Aaron Osmus is going to help with that. And if they have the energy and they continue to have the energy and they continue to build on it, or they get hit in the mouth and go, oh, going home to mommy. Going wow. home. Well, Take him a ball and I'm getting out of here. That's the big question. Because we brought this up after the Texas game from a, a, a small scale uh, sample size. In the Texas game, when things started going wrong, they could not put it together and, and get back on track. It just went downhill from after that. It fell apart. Yeah. And so. If, they had no backbone. I think it's so much easier to go into a season after a bad one with this new momentum, new fired up attitude. We're changing, we're different, and go into fall camp and do that well. But then once you get into a game, like you said, and something goes wrong, can't that's where push comes to shove we'll really see what this team is made of but the interesting thing you said about the switch between that we've seen from fall camp practices to regular season practices we can't really be a full judge of that (laughs) now out of all the people i wanted to get a reaction of about this new development it was you shotgun because he had (laughs) some interesting rants about usc's media relations so uh for those of you who haven't heard at this point we will be able to watch all of USC's fall camp practices like a normal, like like we normally used to do. First two weeks. Yes. But then once USC has their fall showcase of sorts on August 17th, it'll transition into regular season practices, which then means as media, we can only watch the first 20 minutes of practice and then come back at the end of practice to interview players and coaches, etc. So what that means is that we'll get a sense of what USC is doing at fall camp. But once we get to the regular season, we'll only really get to see warmups, maybe a little bit of individual drills. We won't really see the meat and heart of practice. So we can't really be a judge to see, Hey, mock game week is not what's happening in these last couple weeks, you know? So shotgun, what is your reaction to this new development? I don't like it. Um, You know, it's, it's similar to what a lot of schools have, you know, a lot of schools, Either you can watch a couple minutes or you can't watch anything. You have to stand outside the gate and then you do interviews. One of the things that made USC great is that it was open. You know, it it's it was unique. You know, I think it prepared the players. When Pete Carroll was here, I don't I don't know what happened before Pete Carroll. I don't know if it was open and he op- I mean if it was closed and he opened it up. I don't know exactly the, the history of it. But when Pete Carroll was here, he invited people there because he wanted it to be a showcase. He wanted players to know that. Hey, if Snoop Dogg shows up, are you going to show out and practice, or are you just going to be lazy or whatever? Or if if all the parents are there, all the fans, and you know the the, the players know that there are people on our message board when they get a chance to watch practice, they come on the message board, they want to talk about every little thing. Yeah, so the players knew that they needed to show up and they needed to show out. They're showing out not only for the coaches but for the spectators. You know, some players play better when there's audience, lights come on, type of thing. Um, whereas this is okay. Well. Now you just, as long as you can impress the coaches. Or now you feel bad if you're one of those players that feels like they're being slighted. You know, you like, I, no one can know that, that I'm doing well. You know, there's no media to say like, wow, I don't know why they're not playing this guy. Now you can take your clips and go to the next coach or whatever, but, you know, it, I just feel like it's it's unnecessary. Uh, I don't know that there's an advantage to it. 
in the in the grand scheme of thing, you say, oh, well, someone may be telling someone else, but I just don't feel like that's happening. You know, I, I feel like you were really bad last year because you sucked, not because the media was watching. Uh, so it just feels like an authoritarian thing that is unnecessary. Uh, it, hey, it's what they're going to do, and it's kind of been leaning this way and leaning this way, and we kept wondering, is this going to happen? I don't like it because, obviously, I like to watch practice. I like to see what's going on. We're not going to be able to provide the same kind of type of coverage, and we're still going to provide great coverage, but it's not going to be the same type of stuff. What are you going to really glean out of the first 10 minutes? This person's here. This person's not practicing. That's the only two things you're I mean, going to see at all. injuries is pretty much all we can That's really it. get from it. Yeah. And then half the time you can get that in the way they're walking, as they're walking out. Sort of. Some people start in pads and leave without them. It depends. But Alicia Deartola and I had kind of earmarked this quote in spring just because in case this happened. And so the quote is, Clay said it after practice. He said, we can literally... After, after the spring showcase, this was said. He said, we can literally let everybody come in here and watch this. We really don't care. We want to be able to set our standard and play to that standard. And my thinking is that imagine coming off a five and seven season and then closing out the media for spring. So we had no idea how the changes were made. You would not have as much of a positive narrative as a USC team heading into the season if you didn't have us reporting on what you did in practice. So I don't understand this. The media, if you do things well, can be a, some sort of advocate for what you're doing and help fans kind of see the changes that you're making as a program. If you do things well. <sighs> That's the big caveat. I feel like the, to an extent it smells of, of fear. Like, I don't want them to see what we're doing. Well, Ryan always brings up how Lane Kiffin did this in his final year. Not that that could happen to Clay Helton, but there are parallels to to what we're seeing. To give Clay Helton a, a voice here, this is what he said on Media Day okay. when asked about it, about his thought process. He said, number one, it's not about keeping the media out. We've always had a great relationship with the It's not? We've always had a great relationship with the media and always want to be able to help you do your jobs at all times. That's why we allow, we do do media Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday to provide two days uh, to be at least at practice for tw- 30 minutes. This ID said 20 minutes. Clay said 30. So maybe we can work out some, some more minutes here. Probably uh, not that. He said, you know, we're ahead of every other, I think, standard practice in college football. We want to continue to be allowed to have the media do their job. But it was something that we felt in postseason play worked very well for us. And we wanted to go to and I wanted to go to. If there's any special request, I'll always, as you've seen in our relationship, I've always been available to you always. But I want our student athletes to be able to concentrate on their job and focus on their job when it's time for them to work. We've always... We'll always make access to our media. It's always been a great relationship and we'll continue to and always we'll make Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Saturday available. Five five out of seven days a week, we work with our media relationship. So that's what he said at Media Day about that whole process. Make available to a lesser and lesser and lesser and lesser extent each and every year. I mean, from the summer workouts to, you know, there was a part of the, the NCAA sanctions were that the locker rooms couldn't be open anymore. That was part of what USC reasoned it as. It was like, oh, the NCAA, that, that wasn't, they wouldn't tell you that you've got to keep the media out. They wanted to keep everyone else out from coming into locker room type things where you used to could do interviews in the locker room, you know, every game. Now, in the last couple of years, it's just been bowl games. This is just slowly and slowly closing things off. Is there a competitive disadvantage? I don't think so. I don't think that you have anyone in the media running to tell Chris Peterson that USC ran a trick play or whatever. And if you say that you're you we could open this up, we could let anybody watch, and then you immediately do it. I mean, that just just smells of fear. What do you say to those who obviously this sounds like sour grapes because we're the ones affected by it. We're Very the true. We're, what do you say to those and who I am say sour. Yes. What do you say to those who are like, seeing practice is a privilege, not a right. Y'all are just salty because it affects you guys and your job. I mean, I understand that's that's true, but I think it prepares the players better when you know their eyes on you at all times. You know, the eye in the sky doesn't lie, but you know the the media is there to be a second wall of defense to an extent for players, and. I know that coaches have pointed out, like, you're going to come out here and you, you see what they're going to write about you if you have a crappy practice. That that speech has been given. Trust me. It's been given. I just think that it's an unnecessary uh, measure that 
I don't really have the reasoning for why they do it. Now, I understand that, hey, it's a privilege for us, and I think that is one thing that makes USC unique is that the fans get to have more coverage maybe than you know of a, a Nick Saban uh, run program or whatever it is. But I think that's something that's good about USC. Things that are unique about your program are usually things that you should hold on to. You know, like not playing the SCS team. You know, those type of things are good. You know, if you are the only team that wears your original jerseys, are you going to suddenly change? I don't know. You want to keep, and that's what, college football is about tradition and heritage, and I, I think that this is not to the same extent as the FCS thing or, you know, changing your jerseys or something, but when when you're one of a few programs that does something, you should usually try to hold on to that. And you can sell that to the players. Like, hey, come here. You're going to talk to the media. You're going to be prepared for the NFL. You're going to be prepared because you know that people are watching you every day. You know that you have a crappy practice. You know, it might be, it might come up in a report. So you got to practice hard every day type of thing. There's just, there's just things that you can, you can even sell to the, to recruits and stuff uh, that the media is going to be there to watch you because some kids are in the middle of Wyoming and no one's ever there to watch them. They want to go somewhere where people are there to watch them. They want to go where they talk to the media you know, and that's their aspiration. They want to be in the media, in, in uh, media communications or something in the next, fe- in their next field, their next, their post football life. Then that's a, a selling point. This just seems like something that's unnecessary to me. Yeah, agreed. Well, let's move on. I guess when we are listening to this, it will be one day the eve of fall camp beginning. Dun dun dun. dun. Shotgun. First off, what are you when you get to into the gates of Howard Jones Field? What are you looking for? What are some of the things that you're going to watch for on the first day? Now, the first day of fall camp is a little bit of uh, the first two days are a little anticlimactic because it's helmets and and no pads, shorts and all that good stuff. So what are you really looking for? I mean, the the big thing is the energy there is the energy there is, you know, how much of an impact has this offseason had, you know, on the players and the way they go about things. Is there maybe a different air to the team than there was last year? Because there were times last year it was really deflated. You know, it's. It's hard when you have the expectations that come with playing at USC and the expectations the team had last year coming in and, you know, just you expect much more than that. So, yeah, I can see how the air deflated. Is it back? How do they do? How's the hitting going? Is it – Are they, do they do any new drills? That might be something interesting. Mm, yeah. You know, Michael Pittman asked for the, basically an Oklahoma drill. He wants to hit somebody. Pittman's also the largest receiver on the field <laughs> and probably the largest receiver for 99% of the teams in the country. So – I can understand why he wants to, he wants to go. He's like, wait, give me your uh, smallest cornerback. I want to destroy someone real quick. And that's also the outside linebacker in him from uh, high school. Sure. He just wants to hit somebody. But you know, are, are there some different things thrown in? Uh, I, we didn't see much different in in spring. I don't think. You know, as, as far as specific drills, I thought the the interesting thing in spring was how quickly they put the playbook in and. Um, that they were doing the lines where they had four quarterbacks throwing at once and those type of things that Graham Harrell brought with him with the air raid style of offense. But I just don't think that there was a bunch of different drills. If we see something different now, that'd be, that'd be kind of interesting. But I think it's mostly just players and where they individually are. Yeah. As far as their development themselves. And then also, you know, where they're lining up maybe. Yeah. I was going to say, I want to see like injury wise, Solomon Tuliala-Pupu, the longest question mark ever. I'm not even going to be concerned with that one. Talanoa Hufunga, how do they ease him in? He said he's he's cleared, but said it kind of with a question mark. Um, <laughs> you mentioned Austin Jackson. Also seeing what they do with Chris Steele, Brew McCoy. We haven't really seen Brew McCoy in summer. Do we see him come out there and start a fall camp? I'm curious about refs. Does Helton bring back the rest for fall camp? We saw them in spring and how effective they were. Are they That's coming good. back for fall? Did the quarterbacks progress? How does that look? Did leadership form? Are we seeing any different leadership type things with not only just the quarterbacks, but the whole team over the summer? Stuff like that. How did those things progress? You kind of have to read into that a little bit on the first couple days, especially because there's not a lot of tackling going on. But just seeing how these things go. And if Clay is staying with the CEO enforcer type mentality. I never know whether or not he's going to stick to his guns on certain things of what he says at the start of fall camp towards the end. So seeing how that develops as well. I'm just curious about all that. Yeah, he likes to be malleable. Oh, oh, I hate that's a horrible pun because <laughs> Clay is malleable. What? Get it? 
course I got it. That's what I meant the whole time. Of course you did. Speaking of physicality, as far as all of fall camp, it's a weird thing because you don't want to get anyone injured before your first game, but you do want to have that physicality. What are you expecting as far as hitting and whatnot? I think you'll have a you know that that spring show. I mean spring showcase. That's basically what it's going to be. It's going to be a spring game on you know their fall showcase they're doing. I think that could be really interesting because it's we've seen they they scrimmage twice you know in the fall basically and then they have the walk through scrimmage where none of the starters play. That's been the case under Clancy Pendergast the last couple of years with with Clay Helton. But I think that fall showcase could be really interesting. I think the fans should come out and see it. I think it's going to be. Uh, you know, your first real chance to see that air raid offense and see it going. Uh, but I think that just that's going to be a very physical. I think there's going to be a lot of competition there, and I think it's it's kind of like the spring game would be for fans, where you come out and you get to have a good time. You could check out the new stadium type of thing, get some autographs. But then you, as the spring game used to be, then you get to actually see some good action, uh, and you get to see some of the young guys and different things. But I think this time it's it's a spring game, but with everyone practicing because usually in the spring game you have a lot of guys are nicked up and you know they have had offseason surgery or stuff that aren't playing this is like this is going to be a full roster you're going to see who's first team who's second team at least at that time and they'll have two weeks to kind of change that but I, I think it's a it's an opportunity to see what the team is going to be and I think if fans come and come and watch I think they're going to be excited by what this offense is going to present um, so I think the fans should come out for this I think it should be fun to watch and I think that's going to be a very physical thing now are you physical on the, all the other days? That's the big question. We'll see. It's a big TBD in my mind. Seeing how that how that progresses is a, a a big unknown. But as far as position groups, I'm just peppering you with fall camp questions. It's fine. Position, I'm okay with it. Position of least concern and position of most concern, and you can interpret that question however you want. Uh, position of most concern is the defensive backfield. Yeah. Secondary. Just you got a ton of numbers now. That should be fun to watch. That's actually a, a, the most interesting position group, I think, too, to watch this fall. Just really? because you have a ton of young guys, you got no one proven. So it's a big, basically a big brawl for those two positions at, at cornerback and, you know, who, where does the safety go, go? I think that Chase Williams is probably the only locked in to a position guy. Uh, now I think Talanoa Hufunga is going to be there and Isaiah pull him out, maybe CJ Pollock. I don't I don't know about that one, but I don't know which position at safety Talano Hufunga. I think he's versatile enough to play either one, so maybe it depends on what the other two guys do. Yeah. Um, and then the young guys, you don't know what they're going to do necessarily, but you know, I think Chase Williams at nickelback is probably the only solidified that guy's going to be there yeah. position out of the five. So I think that's a very intriguing uh, position group, but it is the one of most concern because there's no experience, basically. Uh, the least concern, wide receiver, even though there's not many bodies – Getting the bodies now, the young guys, makes it easier for your veterans. You know they're actually going to be able to rotate now, which would be something new from the spring. But how can you be concerned with Michael Pittman, Amon Ra, St. Brown, and Tyler Vaughn as your as your starters? I mean that's a dynamic group. Throw in Devin Williams, throw in uh, Drake London, throw in maybe, maybe Kyle Ford. Oh, I forgot about Velas Jones yeah. being back. Yeah, yep. so Velas Jones being there, you know, another guy with a ton of experience there. Not concerned about the receivers at all. How do they get on the same page and? Are, there's still question marks there. You know how they get on the same page with the with the quarterbacks. You know whenever they choose a quarterback, figuring out where to sit down in zones. There's some a lot of option routes in the air raid. You know some of the research I've been doing on some of the air raid stuff. You know there there may be three or four routes on each each uh, each design concept. So do the play do the receivers start understanding when to break off a route? When do they go back shoulder versus trying to get ahead? You know those type things. Those are the the questions still with that group. But you got to be excited about that group still. Yeah, I'm really curious because we didn't even see Valus Jones in spring. So what does he look like in this system? Does he pick it up easily? How like we didn't really get a chance to ask him in summer. But how how has he made progress in getting down the playbook and installing that when you're not really talking to coaches that much on the field at least about how to implement this? So I'm just curious. He only needs two practices and he'll have the whole playbook, right? True. Three practices. Three, three. That's the whole thing. But I'm curious about that. But yeah, I would I would go with that. Maybe running backs least concern. I feel like they're pretty much set up and ready. Maybe depth a little bit. No concern about the fullback. No concern. <laughs> as far as quarterback goes, Clay Helton said 
Uh, at Pac-12 Media Day, he would hope to go 25 practices before naming a starter, but if it somehow the quarterback presents himself, uh, he will name him earlier, but it sounded like he's going to go for all 25 practices. The interesting thing is Graham Harrell did say in spring that by seeing who's practicing in fall camp, you'll know who the starter is. It'll present itself. So how those two squared up will be interesting. From you, Shotgun, what do you need to see in fall camp in order to deem a starting quarterback in your mind? I think Graham Harrell was looking for leadership. So I think that you'll have an idea, you know, as the reps are starting presented after the first week or so, after the first week when when the reps, how they divvied up, is a continuation of the spring where it's basically just a rotation. Then you get a little bit more concerned about that they don't know who they want. Helton said they wanted a two-spot as well again. I'm okay with the two-spotting. Yeah. You know, it just gets a ton of reps for guys, uh, which is fine with a new, a new offense. Um, I think just – Who's making the throws? Who's getting rid of the ball? Rid of the ball quickly. That's what you want in this offense. You want to make the decision and get rid of the ball. Whether it's a deep pass, you still can get rid of it quickly. Uh, just have the decision making. How quickly the decision making is being done. That was the big thing that Graham Harrell said about JT Daniels. That sometimes he overthinks things and, and doesn't just play. So if, if JT is going to win the job, like we kind of expect, at least I expect, then you know he's got to show that he can make the quick decisions. He can make the reads and make the throws. Just quick quickness, that the quick getting the ball in and out of his hands, and I think he'll do great at that. I mean, he was great at it at modern day in a similar type offense. I think he'll be he'll be great in this offense. In your mind, how much does eleven starts in your belt put JT ahead of the rest? Does that game experience an offense that's not being run anymore mean something, or are you starting the slate completely blank? No, I think it means something just because. Did you see how quickly Jack Sears would? take off and run that first half against Arizona State versus that second half because he got a little experience. He got used to how quickly the rush was going to get there. Got used to, you know, how quickly he needed to to make the adjustment, you know, whether he needed to to, to take off running or not, those type of things. But that was just a little bit of experience. When you get 11 games, you know, you got a lot more experience. You know, okay, this is when I need to throw this pass. You know, this is when I need to throw this route. This is where I need to see the safety. Those type of things you just – all those things, the more and more reps you have, the, the the more the game slows down for you. If, like last year when Jack Sears came in to change the offense, are you going to change the offense for any certain guy? Are you going to adapt the offense more is, is a better question with the, with the air raid. Are you going to adapt it and you know make some minor tweaks? If we start seeing some tweaks and we go, that tweak kind of suits that guy a little bit more, then that might show you, who they're looking at more as the starting quarterback. Yeah, that's a good point. As far as freshmen goes, I guess incoming freshmen, who are you most excited to see? I'm going to go with Drake London. He's your boy. You you earmarked that one from the beginning. He's so much fun to watch. He just, I mean, the games I watched him at Moore Park, he would dominate just going up over people at times. Uh, so I'm excited to see what he looks like when he's playing against athletes that are same caliber. I mean, he's a basketball player playing football, and then on the court, he's a football player playing basketball. Uh, he looks natural at both, but he, he brings stuff from that other the other sport into his game. And I think that his ability on the basketball court is going to help him on the football field. And I think he's going to surprise some people that you know because he's not rated as highly as Kyle Ford and Brew McCoy. But which are either of those guys going to play this year? That that's a big question mark. Whereas Drake London may be able to and maybe able to make an impact in that group. So, you know, it, it, he's behind some very talented players at that receiver spot, but I, I think it's going to be fun to watch him. Uh, technically, he's a transfer, but, I mean, Ben Griffith is it's fun to watch. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. I'm curious to see how healthy Kyle Ford is. Uh, he looks kind of semi-healthy in PRPs. Chris Steele, just because he could be an instant impact type of guy. Good what point. does he look like? Did he get a feel for college-level football at Florida? What is he? Where is he at right now? Curious about that. Uh, and especially because we didn't get to see him at all because the defense always practiced on Howard Jones Field and didn't come over to Cromwell. So, Yeah, what you said with Kyle Ford and Max Williams. You know, Are yeah, those guys point. healthy enough that they're able to – they have no restrictions? Or what restrictions do they have? How long does it take? And it's the same question we've been asking about Solomon Tulia Pupu for a while. A long time. Are they fully healthy? Can they practice? And then can they rebound and be good to go the next day? Because it's not always just being able to go one day. It's being able to go the next day and the next day. Let's head into questions. So we have a question from our good friend, Maybet, from Ontario, Shotgun. Or Canada. No. 
<laughs> she says, hello, Keely and Shotgun. This is Maybet from Ontario. Here's my question. If you're limited to going to two home games and two away games as a fan and not a reporter, which games would you choose and why? As always, thanks, keep feuding, and fight on. Now, Shotgun, I feel like you're going to be a little sneaky in this. She didn't specify USC games, and I feel like you're going to pull up some huge college football schedule and be like, I want to go to Georgia Notre Dame. But... <laughs> I assume she she means USC games. LSU so. Texas would be fun. Um, I was only looking at the USC schedule oh, actually okay. to okay. say I didn't think to be sneaky this time. I think the road games, Washington, yeah. you know, because USC won up there last time. You know, there's there's a little bit of a rivalry there. You know, it's not it's not quite a California rivalry with USC, but I think there's a little bit of rivalry there because they feel like they're to an extent, overlooked because of USC at times. So I think that's going to be a really interesting game. And then it comes down to at Notre Dame. You know, that's always, you know, a fun game. But I think at BYU. Because, really because when else are you going to go to BYU? I don't think – if you're a USC fan, I don't think you're going to BYU any other time. I don't know when they're going to have a home-and-home home schedule again with BYU type of thing. I think I would go to the BYU game. And especially if USC is like one in four going into that uh, Notre Dame game, are you really going to want to be there? Yes. Are you? Yeah. If they're one in four. Oh, if US, if you're a USC fan, and auditorily USC, dyslexic there. I thought you said four and one. <laughs> Take it back. Oh. No. <laughs> four and one. Yeah. That's. But no, I think I would go to if I'm choosing two. I think BYU and Washington easier to get to. BYU is going to be a cheaper ticket than Notre Dame. Also easier to get to from an airport, I think, because you can fly into Provo. I did. I, that's I got my ticket. Straight to Provo. Look at you. For cheap, too. It was great. Uh, and then home games, that one, that one's really easy. US, UCLA and uh, Oregon, because the rest of the home slate's just not that great. Really? Maybe, oh, Utah? Yeah. Maybe. I think I'm taking the two at the end of the season. The rivalry game, uh, because it could determine, you never know what it could determine, because the last game of the season. And then I, I think Oregon... There's a reason why they're selling single game tickets to everything except those two games. Those are mini plan only. Yeah, because they're gonna be packed. I and it's family weekend for Oregon. True. I pretty much agree with you. Not so much feuding on this one. Go to UW. I think that's hey, it's the last one on my Pac-12 gauntlet. <laughs> my my what's what's the Marvel thing? The last Infinity Stone for my my gauntlet. <laughs> um, and then I would say Notre Dame instead of BYU. I think BYU could be anticlimactic. Notre Dame's always fun. And it's Dr. Art C. Bartner's last year to go to Notre Dame, so you could have more fanfare with that, I believe. How do you think the USC fans, do, they, do you think the USC fans had a lot of fun the last time they went? The last, like, three times? No, probably not. But it's still fun they to, like, the go to. brakes beat off of them last time, though. True, and those are passionate fans, so if you're there and you're just sitting around happy people and you feel miserable, it's kind of not fun. You but the crap beat out of you, and then you're still an hour and a half away from Chicago where you're probably staying. <laughs> if you've never been, though, I'm going to assume that I would say go. This is supposed to be for me, but okay. whatever. Go I would still it. go. And then home, definitely, I would say definitely Utah, because that essentially decides the South most of the time. Mm-hmm. And then it's a toss-up between Oregon and UCLA. I think it depends on how UCLA is playing that year, because... Even though, I mean, UCLA beat USC last year and they weren't playing well either. So, I don't know. At Colorado could be fun, too. It's a Friday night game, though. Yeah. I but, mean, to see but if it's, Ralphie, always fun. Yeah. But if it's a Friday night game, that means you get the whole weekend. You can go to Denver for two days. True. Enjoy the whole weekend. True? Not that, sure. That's not a bad thing. No. Denver's a fun city. I haven't actually been. I only went to Boulder. Moving on. We have a question from Jackson in Virginia. He says, hey, Keelan Chaka, love the podcast. Thanks, Jackson. Why does everybody put your name first? What's up with that? They know who wears the pants in this podcast. <laughs> I am currently pantless. You know, it's true. Ew, please. <laughs> uh, he says, it has been quite the off season for the Trojans. I feel like I'm on the craziest roller coaster ever. Ha ha. Of all the events that have happened this year, which will have the most positive impact, which will have the most impact, and can you discuss both short-term and long-term? Fight on, Jackson in Virginia. I just liked your ha-ha. Ha-ha. Because he put, like, comma, ha-ha, exclamation point. <laughs> I like it. Which will have the most positive impact, which will have the most impact, which kind of leads you to believe they think the most impact will be a negative because yeah, maybe. you didn't ask for it. Uh, the events that happened this year, off-season year, the most positive impact will be Graham Harrell 
the most impact will be Carol Folt. Ooh. New president. That's a good line of thinking. Didn't think that far. Yeah. And I kind of think that's short term for Graham Harrell and long term for Carol Folt. Yeah, I would have to agree, <laughs> which is weird. I crushed that question, guys. You really crushed did. It. I don't like admitting that, but you did. <laughs> I like I had no clue what I was going to say after Graham Harrell. And this, <laughs> boop, it popped in. Well done. Yeah, I think that's that's true. I mean, long term, Graham Harrell, if he saves USC's offense and brings this team to return glory. Then he won't be around long. True, but Clay Helton might, which is a long-term impact. Moving on to our final question, I think from my new favorite questionee, questionnaire. Do we just become best friends? <laughs> Pretty much. Shout out to Mike. He says, who is stock neutral, Shotgun? As I responded to him on Twitter, something it must be something like the Tooth Fairy because it doesn't exist. But then he responded, then why does she keep giving me money? Uh, you assume the Tooth Fairy is female. He never did. That is sexist of you. What did he say? He said, then kept giving me money. <laughs> he replied, replied again and then said his spelling was Who stock Who kept down. giving me money? Oh. You just assume it's a female. That's sexist of you. <laughs> tooth, did you not see the tooth fairy with the rock as the tooth fairy? Come on. I apologize to the tooth fairy. Stock neutral nation. Y'all been patient, but it's coming back. <laughs> I don't understand how you guys don't get this. If it goes up, it's positive. If it goes down, it's negative. If it stays the same, it's unchanged. But if you can... If unchanged. You, whatever. We'll save Unchan- this. We'll save this. Do, do you look at the NASDAQ and they say neutral? No, it has a dash for unchanged. We're not the stock market, shotgun. Stock <laughs> neutral? But we are not. Why do we have to follow by their rules? Aren't you glad <sighs> to be back, shotgun? <laughs> Why Why did I get on that plane? <laughs> All righty. That's going to wrap it up for our free fall camp podcast. Football's back, guys. I'm so excited. Uh, we'll be back with Stock Up, Stock Down, Stock Neutral, all your good favorite little stuff that we do on this podcast once we have things to evaluate during fall camp. So. A little bit we'll get to evaluate. Hey, we get to evaluate in fall camp. After two, that, two, after look, that, we'll see. Fall camp is not two weeks. Why, why are we getting cut off at two weeks? I don't understand that either. So they can have mock game week? How is mock game week not a part of fall camp? That don't make any sense to me either. I don't know. You have a game week. You have the week leading into a game. I understand that. You are now in the regular season. How is the week three in between two weeks of fall camp and the game week suddenly, well, this is now part of the regular season? Because it's game strategy, Shawnington. Get out of here with it. That's what they have to say. Alrighty, that's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next week. Peace.